again, everyone. Welcome to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. I certainly hope everyone's completed or is at least in the final stages of wrapping up harvest for 2021. Uh, the last USDA report back on November 29 showed that 85% of all U.S. cotton had been harvested at that point. And I'm sure most of that remaining 15% is either at or heading to the gin right now. It's been a long, wonderful, and unusual year for cotton. And now it's time to start finalizing plans for next season. And we're going to try to help you out on that a little bit in this episode. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower, and I'm flying solo for this episode. A time will tell if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but either way, we've got quite a bit to cover today. There has been a lot of recent discussion about product shortages, about potentially increased input prices, and other factors that may end up impacting plans and acreage for 2022. And to help sort through some of those topics and rumors uh, will be my colleague, Jackie Pucci, who follows and covers the ag chem market closely for cotton growers' sister publications, Agribusiness Global, Crop Life, and Ag Professional. Uh, she'll be joining me shortly in the virtual studio to share and discuss some of the things that we're hearing from the market heading into 2022. So be sure to stay tuned for that discussion. But first, let's take a look at some of the latest news items from the cotton industry. And it's been kind of a busy week in terms of, of news. Seed companies are wrapping up their 2021 evaluation programs, and some of them are already making new variety announcements for, uh, for the coming year. Uh, following completion of the 14th season of its NPE program, Delta Pine is launching its class of 22 with two new cotton varieties, uh, DP2239B3XF, is a mid-maturity Bolgard 3-Extend Flex variety with outstanding fiber quality potential uh, for fiber length and improved micronair. It's widely adaptable across varying growing conditions and, and is very similar to, uh, to its, one of its workhorse varieties, DP1646B2XF. Second variety is DP2211B3TXF. That's an early maturity variety with the Bolgard 3 Thrive-On technology with ExtendFlex. Now, it's not going to be available for commercial sale in 2022, pending final regulatory approvals for that Thrive-On technology, but it will be available for planting through the Delta Pine Stewarded Groundbreakers field trials. So some top growers in the country will be able to get their hands on it and take a good look at it in their fields. Phytogen has released, or is going to be releasing, Phytogen 411W3FE, that's a new broadly adapted high yielding variety uh, with a very broad area of adaptation. It carries the phytogen breeding traits for bacterial blight resistance and for both root knot nematode and reniform nematode resistance. And there are two other varieties that were, that were introduced late spring of last year. Uh, they'll also be available for growers in 2022. Phytogen 205W3FE, that's an early maturity variety for the Texas Panhandle, Oklahoma market and parts of Kansas, and Phytogen 807RF for the Pima market. Now, hot off the newswire comes word that John Deere and Field to Market, the Alliance for Sustainable Agriculture, just announced a pilot program that integrates the sustainability metrics of Field to Market's field print platform into John Deere's operations center to help cotton growers more easily capture data necessary for some of these field-level environmental analyses. This collaboration is going to allow growers to leverage their existing field, crop, and machine data to, ask, to assess the environmental performance of their management practices 
across the field print, field print platforms eight sustainability metrics. This is going to create a new tool to help facilitate grower enrollment in the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol. The initial pilot program showed that the operations center helped streamline the data collection process, leveraging existing field, crop, and machine data to pre-populate nearly two-thirds of the data needed to generate the field print platform sustainability metrics for the trust protocol. DEER is now expanding efforts to assist more cotton producers interested in enrolling in the trust protocol. Next, we have word from Cotton Incorporated and analytics leader SAS about another collaboration to introduce advanced analytics and the ways it can strengthen the industry to cotton growers, ginners, and textile industries. Uh, using Cotton Incorporated's industry access and SAS's agricultural technology expertise, this new alliance is going to offer data on crop production to help produce higher yields and then ginning to help reduce downtime for cotton processing machinery. So for more information on any of these stories, please visit cottongrower.com. And finally, our thoughts and prayers for the families, communities, and states impacted by the recent December tornado. We've seen the photos of the devastation in Mayfield, Kentucky and Edwardsville, Illinois, as well as severe damage across West Tennessee, Northeast Arkansas, and the Missouri boot heel. The farm, farm buildings, grain storage bins, and even a cotton gin near Leachville, Arkansas. It's a sad way to end a year of excellent harvest and promise for 2022. And our, again, our thoughts and prayers, particularly this time of year, for all of the people uh, impacted by those storms. Well, that's enough from me. And it's time to bring another voice into the studio as part of this episode's discussion on the status of crop inputs, and probably a little bit more than just that, for the, uh, for the 2022 season. Joining me again is Jackie Pucci, my colleague and senior writer for CropLife, Precision Ag Professional, and Agribusiness Global, all of which are sister publications to Cotton Grower. She's our internal go-to expert on ag chem and other crop inputs. So Jackie, welcome back to the Cotton Companion. Thank you, Jim. You know, there's, there's been a lot of discussion across all of U.S. agriculture about possible product shortages, increased cost for inputs, both on the chemical and, and fertilizer side for, for 2022, uh, some concerns that are starting to be raised about the status of product labels. You've been tracking this for a while. So uh, what's the story? What are you hearing from people within the industry? Um, okay, so I was talking to, well, just people from all of the, the major manufacturers, um, some retailers, but um, for example, um, Phil Krieg from Syngenta was saying that he expects there to be about a 30% shortage um, of glyphosate and glufosinate in 2022. Um, so he said he's been in the business since 1977, either in retailer or Syngenta, and he's never seen um, chemicals being this short. I feel like I've heard that from a lot of people. Um, at this point, and just people are a little concerned about, you know, just all the unknowns going into 2022. So Ryan Riddle from Atticus had said that he expects glufosinate definitely to be short, and that it's the same in some of the other categories like insecticides. Uh, he was saying bifenthrin and lambda are also going to be affected. What else? Paraquat, for sure. Uh, Jim DeLisi, who is the chief at Fanwood Chemical, uh, he tracks formulated imports, tech imports, all the different 
raw materials coming into the U.S. Um, he's been doing this for a long time, and he has always has some interesting details to share. So he had uh, noted to me that all of the imports of you know, insecticides, fungicides, and herbicides are up significantly over last year. So it wasn't exactly supporting these reports of shortages. He was, you know, wondering about this. But what others have told me is that it's still not, even with all the imports being up, there's not enough to meet market demand. And last year, for, for instance, the carry-in over inventories were depleted. So this year, there's really nothing to draw from. And so there's definitely still going to be shortages um, so Jim had also pointed out that the importer profiles had changed quite a bit, um, including for glyphosate and showing that like farmers business network has become a substantial direct importer of glyphosate and a lot of other products. So while there may be shortages in some of the traditional distribution channels, um, it could be caused by some of them being diverted to these new, new distribution systems. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Another person, I think it was Sam Knott from Atticus, said that he expects it to take one to two years for inventories, a supply situation to kind of get out of these holes that we're in right now. In, in your discussions with, uh, with Jim DeLisi and, and some of the others, um, of course, this is a time of year where growers are, you know, we're finished in the field. Growers are looking ahead to next year, what their, um, you know, what their, their crop mix is going to look like. Uh, we just finished the initial work on our, our cotton acreage survey for next year. And, you know, still trying to finalize those numbers, but there's no question cotton acreage is going to go up. Uh, so that's going to, that's going to change a little bit of the, the product mix or the chemical mix uh, in these acres. Uh, I know we, we all hear about the fertilizer prices that are just going, you know, keep ratcheting up, uh, which could have more impact on the corn market than, than some of the others. Is all of this crop mix for next year, is it, how much impact is that having in terms of uh, some of this product movement? To be honest, I haven't heard too much about the different, um, different crops being part of that um, shortage because it's spread across all of them, including to the specialty areas in California. And so um, that hasn't been a huge um, topic of our conversations, but I just wanted to add to that it's not affecting all all products like uh, Nick Fassler from BSF, he's a director of technical services there, was saying that like group 15s have adequate supplies in the market. Um, they can extend applications. So hopefully you don't have to come back and crop. Um, if we can limit rescue treatments, there's gonna be more product as a whole to go around, he said. He did say uh, with the rapid expansion of Liberty Link, um, that you know there's there's a need for the prop the the strong residual to limit the number and the height of weeds at the time of application so he was saying for post you know you can use a group 15 on that um and he just said to just consider all cultural chemical practical solutions to minimize your weed pressure you know look at all the levers you have talk to your agronomist talk to your retailer pull all those solutions together so you can be successful. We don't want to create a situation in 2022 that we have to live with forever. Well, and, and, and again, that, that raises the question of, you know, if, if we're dealing with some product shortages or, or if we're limitations on the products, let's, let's put it from that perspective of, you know, we have one application that, and, you know, rescue, a rescue application might be a little iffy 
on that. What kind of impact are you hearing about? How's this going to impact some of the resistance management programs? Yes, this was interesting. What um, Dr. Josie Hugie, she is from Wilbur Ellis. She's their branded technologies data manager. So she was worried about this, that it's a tunnel vision focus on all these shortages. And she doesn't want people to take this, what she called a hungry hippo approach. So just <laughs> whatever you can and just, you know, placing resistance management in the back seat. So don't just, uh, don't, don't forget about resistance management and that, um, you know, you really have to lean on your agronomist this year and lean on your retailer to um, just make sure that you don't, lose lose track of those those kinds of things have good open conversations and um you know don't just go on what you've done forever open up some new options sure that fit i mean i was uh we you and i talked about this the other day a little bit i sat in on a session with uh with peter dotre at, at texas a&m last week more specifically from cotton perspective obviously and you know his you know his input on this is regardless of what the, what the uh, the supply looks like, and he believes the supply of cotton herbicides products will probably be okay, um, maybe with a few exceptions when you get into into some of the residuals. Uh, but as he said, regardless of what you've got, he calls it his broken record strategy because this is basically what he says every year, every season, what every week. I think weed specialist says going into it, you know, the old start clean uh, in the cotton market, you know used the, as he's he's a big big fan of the yellow herbicides to uh you know at planting to keep uh to take that first knock of weeds down and then follow that up with what he calls the white chemical uh white chemistry the caparals the cotterans the direx that uh that's used substantially in the cotton market um you know basically a lot of good at plant herbicide options uh and then start overlaying the soil residuals and then come back at post with your branded products, regardless of the technology you're using. So, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like, it's acknowledging that, that, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. And I think we've heard from other people that it's regardless of what it looks like, it's not going to be business as usual right. uh, in taking care of, of weed management, but that it's not, you know, it's not a lost cause heading into this year. It's just a matter of careful planning and Mm -hmm. and looking at what options you have to, uh, you know, that may help, may help you gain some, uh, you know, some, some ground in some areas in terms of uh, weed management. Yeah, Josie Hughie had added, uh, might actually open up discussions on change with people that are not comfortable with change. Right, definitely. Uh, I think one of the other things that has popped up here within the past week or so uh, is uh, this sort of the question over uh, regulatory issues. Uh, I think we saw something last week, uh, Chairman David Scott of uh, the House Ag Committee and, and several other House Democrats have asked EPA to delay making potential herbicide registration revisions, including any more restrictions on dicamba, simply because of the high input costs that, that growers are facing this year. And, you know, I, I think the rumor was is pretty strong that EPA is wanting to take a look at, uh, at those dicamba labels again, uh, heading into 2022, that's causing a lot of heartburn out there among uh, among the industry at this point. You know, because growers are booking seed based on the technology they want to use. Uh, they're lining up their product when they can get it, and now you have this possibility that maybe, maybe not, 
I'll be able to do follow the plan that I was planning to follow. Right. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty um, with not only supply, but pricing, people wanting to lock down the herbicide order as soon as possible, people putting in their forecasts and orders much earlier than normal. Um, and as someone pointed out to me, it's not a bear problem. It's not a BSF problem um, because, you know, if someone's looking, they might be looking to other companies that they haven't in the past. So it just gets spread around that way and that people will have, you know, business coming in that they didn't see before in the past. So just trying to prepare for all of that. Nobody, nobody likes uncertainty in this market, but, uh, but I think we're going to have to live with it here for, you know, the next month or so, next couple of months as, as things kind of work them, work themselves out. I'll be heading down to the uh, Beltwide Cotton Conferences in San Antonio the first week in January, and I'm sure there's going to be an awful lot of discussion there with, uh, with the university researchers and the specialists and the consultants and everybody else, you know, over, over what we can and can't do or what we should and shouldn't do. Yeah, at this point, so It'd be interesting. Yeah, this may be this may be a topic we want to revisit again here in about two months. Yes, uh, much agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think we're just going to wrap it up with uh, with that. And uh, Jackie, thanks for joining me again today. Uh, we both know there's a whole lot more to this story than uh, than than we know at this point before planning is going to begin next spring, or in, in the case of South Texas in February. So uh, I certainly appreciate your time. Have a great holiday. Thank you so much, Jim. You too. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. A special thanks again to Jackie Pucci for joining me. And as always, to you, dear listeners, for joining in. If you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends about this podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. This is the final episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast for 2021, but we will be back on our regular twice-monthly schedule starting in mid-January. This podcast is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name's Jim Stedman, and I'll be back with you following the Beltwide Cotton Conferences with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, have a safe and joyous Christmas and a very happy new year. God made me a farmer. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made a farmer.